0: You're listening to Business Extra, coming from Dubai, LinkedIn's offices. I'm Kelsey Warner, your host, and I'm joined by Ali Matar, the head of emerging markets at LinkedIn. That comprises a massive geography. What do you oversee?
1: Good morning. First. Good
0: morning. And welcome back <laughs> Thank to you. Business Extra. It's always
1: great to be back. So I've been in the company almost 11 years, and I had different, um, different roles to play. Currently, what I support is um, our SaaS business across uh, EMEA, uh, Europe, East and Africa, uh, with the exception of UK, Germany and France. And I also have another hat, which is the um, uh, country manager for the Middle East and North African um, offices.
0: Okay, so a vast geography. And I'm curious kind of what you want to talk about today. There's many paths we could take. Future of work, AI, recession fears. There's a lot of kind of looming dynamics going on, Um, even social media and what a... um, chaos basket it's been between Mark Zuckerberg, TikTok, and Twitter the last six months. There's a lot of directions we could take today. What's kind of top of mind for you these days running the day-to-day in in your geography? Well,
1: probably the first thing to, to acknowledge is like we've just turned 20 years old as a, as a platform.
0: Mm-hmm. Happy birthday.
1: Thank you. We're very proud of uh, the way we started back in 2003 and the way we are today. So probably I can share in a couple of minutes the full um, trajectory of LinkedIn since the inception. Mm-hmm.
0: As our producer said fairly colorfully, it started out as a Facebook for losers.
1: <laughs> and 20 years
0: later, you are, you're, sure a little, you're a little cooler. So yeah, tell, bring us through from day yeah. one, very quickly, well, 20, the 20-year trajectory.
1: The way I would like to see it, that in 2003, it was um, actually the first time that uh, our co-founders, there were like five co-founders of LinkedIn, mm-hmm. with the main one, Reed Hoffman. They started the platform from Reid's living room. And in 2003, it was only by invitation. So no one can go and create a profile just like that. Randomly, they need to receive an invitation from someone. And as a result of that, they can do a profile. And I think uh, speaking with some of our co-founders back in the days, uh, it did feel like they've given it a year at that point in time to see if there will be enough members' acquisition and engagement Mm -hmm. uh, to then to make a decision how they wanna carry it forward. I think we were very lucky that before the end of 2003, we've reached over 1 million members. Uh, that was a good um, uh, a good traction to continue investing in the platform. And by 2011, it was another milestone. We have hit 100 million members. And in 2012, we had our first offices here in the Middle East and North Africa, based in Dubai. Uh, we started with a handful of employees, a few of them. And today, uh, we've crossed 100 employees based uh, out of Dubai that covers Middle East and North Africa. Even in 2012, when we did the launch, and it it feels like uh, forever, it's just like 10 years back. um, I've shared with the news at that point that we had 5 million members in MENA and 1 million member in UAE. Today, we have over 10x of that in in MENA. We have 54 million members. In MENA. In MENA, in the Middle East, South African Mm -hmm. region. And over 6 million members in UAE and 7 million members in Saudi. Uh, That is pretty stunning for us because we have seen very high level of engagement in this part of the world. Uh, not to my surprise, because at the, end of the, at the end of the day, there's a lot of youth, very high uh, tech savvy, I would say, uh, culture in many of the countries, especially in the GC.
0: Yeah, it's a very high social media use rate in the region. But I'm curious that you kind of tell the trajectory tale through a number of users metric. At what point did Microsoft pick up LinkedIn?
1: It was in 2016. 2016. So yeah. seven
0: years ago, Microsoft, now the biggest investor in OpenAI AI. bought linkedin seven years ago now they're the biggest investor in this massive ai engine the makers of chat gpt and linkedin kind of went from being a place where you posted your cv and looked for jobs to you guys have a 250 person editorial team that churns news on a daily basis you have thousands of classes skills building workshops just your product is really diversified in the last kind of since microsoft bought you i think you probably became less attuned to user growth and more about becoming a real bona fide tech company um can you talk a little bit about i'm curious are you seeing any bleed through of the open ai of it all and microsoft owning you is ai kind of popping up more in the linkedin platform
1: sure i mean let me try to answer this question in two folds yeah. one um Everything we do as a company, as an organization, has to be very much relevant to our vision, mm-hmm. which is to create economic opportunity for every member in the global workforce. So every time we have this conversation, we ask ourselves: like, if we're introducing a feature to the platform, is it really help- helping our members from a professional point of view? Are we really helping them to be more productive and successful? And uh, sometimes uh, the answer is maybe, and we introduce some features, but then we take it back. Sometimes the answer is no, and then we don't pursue that further. Okay, so,
0: so what's a recent example of a product launch that you were that you brought you reeled back in?
1: I think back in the days at one point in time we d- we did have uh, we introduced stories at one point in time, um, I think around the pandemic, even
0: I remember uh, that yeah yeah uh,
1: and it, we, we, we saw some good traction, but then we decided to to reuse our resources in, in some other ways that we had probably more more beneficial to the, to the members.
0: So you parlayed briefly into short form video and kind of up to date up to the minute social media posting kind of more in a traditional format. And found, eh, that doesn't really resonate with what we're doing.
1: What, what I would say we still have those videos are probably the highest engaging um, feature on the platform is videos. As a matter of fact, if you look at Saudi Arabia, uh, at one point in time, it was among the highest uh, video consumption in the world, proportionally. Mm-hmm. So I think videos and the way the platform has evolved uh, continue to be very relevant in, in terms of uh, what the members require. But we always try to put our resources in ways that make it... Uh, say, more relevant from a professional point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, whenever we're introducing a feature, we always ask ourselves if this is relevant or not. Uh, before the acquisition, after the acquisition, I think we're very much true to to the vision and the mission of LinkedIn. Speaking of AI, for instance, um, I mean, the other day uh, I was in the gym. I was doing some cycling and I hate doing cycling. It's pretty boring. <laughs> I so I had uh, my mobile, not, uh, not very surprising, and I was checking LinkedIn. I saw that uh, ad, uh, which was very interesting for me. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It was like uh, a building still under construction with a big ad on that building saying, AI, can you please finish the building? And then at the bottom of it, they're like, your skills are irreplaceable.
0: I also saw that LinkedIn post. Yes, it's a construction site that says no one, like AI can't replace this exactly. job. Yes, exactly. power to the construction worker.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that applies for so many other verticals and industries. Mm-hmm. I think um, uh, AI has been there for for so many for for so many years, and I think when 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 LinkedIn was launched in 2003, it was empowered by it was powered by AI. And today, for instance, uh, yourself as a media professional, if you go and check your LinkedIn profile, you probably see some what you call jobs you might be interested in. Those jobs are uh, the, the algorithm of of that jobs targeted in a way based on what you say on your on your profile, the skills that you have, the recommendations. Um, the endorsements, et cetera, it's like signals giving in the background that the AI picks that up and recommend jobs. That has been there forever. I think what AI is introducing right now or what AI is bringing to the world, uh, probably a little bit more efficiency, but adding to many different industries where in the past they were more traditional industries. they They felt like technology is not as important, but now this is where we're seeing the disruption.
0: I'll push back on you a little bit on the idea that AI will be a net creator of jobs. I do agree with you because I do think it's lazy thinking, to, a failure of imagination to say that AI will only be a jobs killer. But for those who are afraid, for those who are feeling insecure, where are the jobs in AI going to come from?
1: So if if we look historically over the last few years and we compare um the jobs that are posted on the platform today, we see the majority of the jobs that are posted require skills related to digitization, to artificial intelligence, to augmented reality, 3D printing. That's where we see a huge uptick in terms of the jobs that are required. These jobs were not in play a couple of years back. So uh, that's a new market. That's a new set of jobs create created for for people who are interested to be in that, uh, in, in that domain. Um, in the past there were so many traditional industries think of manufacturing automotive etc digitization was not something they were considering pretty seriously they were doing good business by doing what they've been doing, what they've been doing for, for so many years and i think with the with the covid and then with the with the introduction of ai they had to transform the way they do business to continue being relevant and that itself created a huge number of jobs again related to the technological uh, Aspect And that applies to the retail industry, that applies to the hospitality industry, the healthcare industry. Those jobs were not there in the past. I think that's where we see the the, the uptick.
0: I'm curious also if you have advice for people thinking about the next 10, 20 years, looking ahead, a generation forward in education. What should people be focused on in terms of what they're actually learning? Because I agree with you, again, that AI is going to be a net creator of jobs. But it's not necessarily going to be coders. ChatGPT can spit out apps. It can spit out websites. We don't necessarily need somebody who knows Python or whatever to now code these websites. But you still do need data scientists, engineers, front-end developers to make these things look and work mm-hmm. correctly. Uh, but scanning ahead, 10 to 20 years, what are the skills?
1: Well, here's the thing. Let me let me. Sp- split this into two parts, the hard skills versus the soft skills. Mm -hmm. And I think many of our conversations were as well, not focusing on the importance of the soft skills. And especially during the pandemic, we have seen people who have soft skills are the one who were highly on demand in the market. Soft skills like leadership skills, like compassion, like, especially in your leadership position or management position, these are skills that every single organization requires. Today, when I talk to my, my clients. They keep asking me, help me find ways to interview for culture. I mean, that person might be the best coder ever, but might not fit our culture. So the soft part will continue to grow and mm-hmm. will continue to be relevant. Now, on the hard, on the hard skills part, on the technical skills, I still think even if ChatGPT if, if is an app, at the end of the day, you still need people to develop those apps. And this is, and that again, across many different verticals that in the past we have not seen any. So I have a son who's eight years old. I mean, not that he listens to me for everything I say, but um, if he wants to get into a certain career in the future or he wants to go into university, I would definitely um, encourage him to focus on uh, technical related skills, on digitization. I don't see this as sunsetting anytime soon. I actually believe this is the future.
0: The World Economic Forum, kind of informed by some LinkedIn data, predicted that one in four jobs is going to change in the Mm -hmm. next five years, that there's going to be just a massive amount of churn. And this level of upheaval in the jobs market is a business opportunity for LinkedIn. But imagine your engagement goes way up when there's a lot of people searching for jobs. So how are you guys thinking about this current moment in time when it comes to the jobs market? And can you talk a little bit more about this churn? and what you're doing to prepare for it?
1: So, actually, as per our data, we believe um, artificial intelligence will probably create over 220 million jobs in the coming few years. Right,
0: it's it's meant to be a net jobs creator. Exactly. It's a failure of imagination to say that AI is going to steal all of our jobs.
1: Exactly what we thought probably when the internet came. People Mm. said like, it's going to take all the jobs. Uh, But in reality, it created more jobs. And I think, um, I don't think it's about technology only. It's about people, people who invest in themselves, through reskilling and unskilling, I think employers who invest in their own employees will be very critical to the future of the workforce. I mean, um, as per our data as well, if we compare uh, the same job uh, that someone was doing in 2015 compared to today, there's a 25% different skills required to do exactly the same job. And we predict that uh, between now and the 2027, 20, it's going to even double. So in order for someone to continue to be successful in doing their existing job, they need to learn new things. They need to Yet, I would say, uh, they need to familiarize themselves with new technologies in order to be successful in the existing job. If they don't do that, yes, there is a risk that that they can become obsolete and they might not be able to to perform that same level. But that's not a bad thing because one of the things that we keep saying is always be learning, right? And uh, COVID, back to the COVID days, uh, we've seen all-time highest consumption of LinkedIn learning courses. But everybody wanted to learn new skills. In order we had a lot to... of time
0: on our hands. Yeah. <laughs> the last time we spoke was during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we were doing a lot of reflection and a lot of predicting on the future of work at that point. It felt like we were amid a paradigm shift. Everyone was going to be a remote worker. Um, all sorts of things were happening in the future of work conversation. What do you think has actually stuck? It feels like we overstated a lot of our predictions. But what do you think has kind of settled in and been here to stay?
1: I think the thing about global pandemic is that many of them, there is no playbook. So we're we're somehow learning as we go. At that point in time, there were so many different predictions or some big statements done by big companies saying uh, we might not even need offices anymore. We're going to ask all our team to be working remotely. In reality, and again, supported by our data, we have seen that during the pandemic, obviously speaking, the remote jobs posting on LinkedIn has increased exponentially. Now we're starting to see that decrease, Mm -hmm. decreasing in a way, but gaining more into the hybrid. So I personally believe the future is hybrid hybrid workplace and I think companies who invest in in finding the right place and time for their employees to do their job partially from the office partially from home these are these are going to be the employees who are going to attract the best talent and retain the best talent and it I don't see it as going to be a 100% remote workforce or 100% on-site, unless you're a dentist for example or a driver then you probably need to be in your office to most of the time, if not all of the time.
0: Right. I would have been curious had we had um the Apple spatial computing headset and chat GPT, if we had those two tools available to us during the pandemic, how things would have shaken out? Because I do think really all we had at our disposal back back in those days was was Zoom. we really relying on Zoom. I I wonder, do you use Chat GPT right now in your in your day to day?
1: Um at a personal level, yes. Professionally, it's not uh, it's not something uh, we ask our employees to use. But yeah. at a personal level, uh, when I am uh, sometimes want uh, some extra input, I do use that and I find it fascinating.
0: Did you use it at all to prepare for today's interview?
1: Not really, but that's a good point I should have.
0: <laughs> His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, the president of the UAE a couple of days ago, joined LinkedIn. And I think as we're seeing, you know, Elon Musk bought Twitter. Twitter's become a bit of a space that is maybe not as credible as it once was. Facebook is amid a strategy shift. Mark Zuckerberg's plunked over $20 billion into the metaverse. TikTok is in testimonies before Congress about whether or not it'll be allowed to be used in the U.S. I'm going to land this plane, I promise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but a few just recent examples of social media companies really in states of controversy, states of chaos. And LinkedIn is kind of emerging as a new destination and a new kind of platform of choice, as we just saw with this week's news with His Highness. Um, can you talk a little bit about this this move into, you know, government and politics? And does LinkedIn want to be more of a destination for these, these players?
1: For the last four years, I would say, as per the Business Insider, LinkedIn has been the, probably the highest trustworthy platform. Uh, as per what the members are saying, so I would say uh, the level of trust in the platform has increased uh, exponentially again, and I think uh, it's uh, it's one of the places where many professionals go in order to do different things. Some of them to find a job, some of them to share a piece of content, some of them to start a business, others to try to sell something, and it has proven time and time again that it's it's being very relevant and actually adding a lot of value. And I think. Uh, that is back to how how much we are true to our vision and um, trying everything we do on a daily basis to be to be very relevant to the professional side. Um, as a result of that, we have seen that increase of membership and we have seen that uh, many of the leaders across the different parts of the world, they are communicating with their citizens, with their employees, with everyone through that platform. Actually, I was in Kuwait the other day and I was having a conversation with one of big um, company CEOs and he was telling me, um, he used LinkedIn to communicate with his team more than email he knows many of those employees are on LinkedIn already. And they are active without them being asked to be active. Um, and sometimes if he wants to convey a certain message, he just go and update his LinkedIn uh, with a short update. For instance, he wanted to talk about the importance of having um, a diverse hire.
0: So how big is that company that he oversees?
1: Uh, it's pretty big. It's, right. Uh, it's, but it's a local company. It's so as a conduit
0: big. for internal comms
1: um, as a
0: way of kind of...
1: One way of looking at it, but, 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 but in, in the sense of uh, as well, it serves as a, as a talent attraction tool, because if I want to join a certain organization and I see that the CEO is talking about the importance of diversity in, in the hiring process and how we want to encourage, and then I would probably think that that's a, that's, a, that's a good company I want to be part of. So I think the platform has created that equal opportunity for everyone to have a voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but given the professional context, people are more careful what to say uh, because the network can easily see that.
0: I'm wary of the virtue signaling, greenwashing, all of these kind of 21st century buzzwords around just, um, I don't want LinkedIn to become a a destination for for posturing. I'm, I'm hopeful that it can kind of stay a bit authentic and not a place for this sort of, um, marketing spin kind of, but, but we'll see. So the first 20 years in closing, I want you to look ahead next 20 years. What are your predictions for LinkedIn?
1: Sure. Um, First and foremost, the vision remains the vision. I mean, I was in, in LA two weeks back and we go through through a full year uh, review and projections for the future. And every time we start our meeting, we talk about the vision, create economic opportunity for every member in the global workforce. Uh, so I think uh, making sure that is not compromised, that is the, the, the true north for every single employee, that is a priority for us. Second, I think the world is going through a huge uncertainty at this point in time. I think the global economy uh, is not at its best. Uh, if you look at the US, Europe, the war, inflation, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, there's a lot of uncertainties going on. And in the world of uncertainty, I think um, people panics, uh, people lose jobs. Uh, some decisions can be very, I would say, uh, life-threatening in terms of uh, you know if you're going to have a job or not. Uh, I think we're in a, in a great place today, with all the professions that we have, the data that we have, the, the insights that we can generate, to help and, and advise um, uh, people at decision-making uh, level to to take the right decisions that will that we believe will help the economy to to build up uh, faster and faster. Now, in this part of the world, I would say we're pretty lucky, or luckier than the rest of the world. I, I think the economy has proved to be more resilient, and uh, and we are continuing to see some the hiring activities in UAE, for example, continue to be among the best across the world, despite like 2023 is a little bit less than 2022. But if you compare it to the time before around COVID or before COVID, it's way, 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 way better. So so true to our vision, making sure we are part of, uh, you know, uh, bringing back the economy to to the right level. And uh, the last point, I would say uh, the skills-based hiring. Uh, traditionally, uh, companies have been always hiring people based on their academic background or their experience. Um, we do believe that skills-based hiring is, uh, is is super positive and will create a lot of equal opportunities for so many people who have been probably unfortunate, whereas they can do the job sometimes even better. Um, uh, we are working uh, from a features point of view on the platform, but we're also uh, running uh, some really good pilots with some of our big uh, big uh, clients just to understand how we uh, will be able to introduce that feature and help them hire people based on skills as a matter of fact today over 45 percent of recruiters who use linkedin to find people uh, use uh, skills to search and, and reach out to people and we have seen over 300 million members continuously updating their skills as they know that skills, uh, I would say, is the new currency for, for that's us. That's an
0: interesting kind of trend shift. I'm interested. If you were in LA a couple of weeks ago, did you set targets? Do you have a user growth target through the through next year? That's
1: that. That's not. That's not part, that wasn't part of the conversation. That's not the way we look at it. I think. I think uh, th- those type of meetings are m- m- mainly focused on on how we're going to be able to realize our vision. Again, it's not. It's not target based as much as it's relevant. We have to continue to be to be relevant in and whatever. Uh, service we provide. Okay, so
0: no comment on revenue growth, no comment on user growth.
1: I think, I mean, uh, one of the things that you are very proud of, like, uh, since the acquisition of Microsoft by LinkedIn, we, we tripled our, our revenue. Today, we are over $14 billion in terms of revenue, and, and that's, that's pretty stunning for us. And growing. And you continue to grow, yeah.
0: Ali, good to talk to you. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: That's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe wherever you get your audio content. All that's left is to thank my roadies today, my production team, and you for listening. See you next week.